Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Blarkus. I am an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist and, of course, your host. And if you're new here, I thought I would let you in a little bit about what I'm all about. So I am a passionate fertility dietitian who absolutely loves to help support hopeful parents to improve their diets and lifestyles so they can grow the family of their dreams. And I definitely have a very practical and as little restriction as possible approach all backed by science. So I hope you are enjoying season three of the podcast thus far. Today's episode is by far one of the most quote-unquote urgent types of messages and inquiries that we get and it is help. I have low egg count or low AMH. So I wanted to talk you through what now from a dietitian perspective. So if you haven't already, I would recommend before we go into this episode, you head on over to the show notes and download our ultimate preconception lifestyle checklist. It's a simple one page each checklist for you and your partner, for those who have partners that summarizes some key dietary changes and lifestyle changes to help support your preconception and fertility health. It's completely free. Just head on to the link in the show notes, drop your name and email, and it'll be sent to your inbox. Okay, on to the topic of today. What is low AMH or low egg count? AMH stands for anti-malurian hormone, and it is a measure, a proxy measure of the number of follicles that live in your ovaries and it gives an indication of ovarian reserve. Now, I really wish podcasting was visual for just a quick second here because I use my hands a lot when I talk about this topic with (laughs) with our clients as well. But what I want you to visualize is within the ovary, there are follicles of which some are going to be larger than others, but pretend we've got a larger one. And within that follicle, there's a little bit of fluid and then there's the egg. So it almost looks like an egg that you've cracked to fry. So you've got that white layer, then that yellow center. So I want you to visualize that. And the whole thing is the follicle, right? So imagine you've got your egg white when you fry an egg, that's your follicular fluid. And that follicular fluid is what secretes a very small amount of that AMH hormone or anti-malurian hormone. And that's what's getting picked up in a blood test, okay? So it's not an actual count of the number of eggs that live in your ovary. So the number on the AMH test isn't the number of eggs you have remaining. It's a proxy measure. And so the way that this is typically found, I find, is usually via a blood test when preparing for fertility treatments or as part of a fertility workup. This is often done. Now, 
Now, when this comes back as quote unquote low, a lot of people, especially on Instagram, ask me what is what is low? And there is no universal low number for everyone as the ranges are typically scaled to your age because as we know, as we all know, as we get older, we have fewer eggs because we're losing them. So, and different countries around the world use different units to measure AMH. So here in Australia, we use pick a mole per liter. Um, in the US and the UK, they use different units. So just be careful when comparing and you want to try and compare between the same labs over time. And you certainly don't want to measure it too frequently. So it's not something you'd be measuring every couple of weeks. We are talking about measuring it, you know, every year or less, depending on your history and, and what's happening for you. So that can that can obviously vary. Now, there are other ways to identify that you have a low egg count. So this can happen sometimes as a bit of a surprise with IVF when you don't necessarily get as many eggs as retrieved as what would be expected and also via an antral follicle count or an AFC on a pelvic ultrasound. So that's when they're looking inside the ovaries using an ultrasound and actually counting the number of eggs at the right time in your cycle to see how many there may be there. Now that's a little bit different. That's not necessarily a low AMH, but it's a low antral follicle count, which means this can mean the same kind of thing of a low egg count, but it can also just be a funny month. So the key question is, is how come I don't have any symptoms of a low AMH or what are the symptoms of a low AMH? In most cases, you will not know that you may have a low AMH or a low egg count. But sometimes you might find the following, and this is particularly when you're getting to a very, very low AMH when we're we're almost almost completely out of eggs. So sometimes we can see periods go missing in action or amenorrhea will become less regular. And sometimes at this point, I've seen it be misdiagnosed as PCOS, but this can be why this low AMH or sometimes called primary ovarian insufficiency if you're young can sometimes be linked with premature menopause as well. The period can completely stop if the AMH gets sufficiently low. Infertility, obviously probably why you might be listening to this podcast, Fertility Friendly Food. So this can occur as a result of your ovaries not producing normal amounts of estrogen or releasing the eggs as regularly. Sometimes egg freezing can be an option that you can discuss with your fertility specialist if you are hoping to conceive either in the near or distant future. Menopausal symptoms, so feeling moody, not sleeping well, irritability, hot flushes, night sweats, and low libido. So sometimes these symptoms may be more prevalent in people that are experiencing a a premature lower egg count than if they were to go through menopause at the average age of 50. And psychological issues are more prevalent in people that are experiencing very low AMHs and very low egg counts, so may experience high levels of depression and anxiety. What's important to note is when we're interpreting in particular the AMH result, we need to get our investigator hats on and have a think about a few different things from a clinical side. So we need to think about your vitamin D status. So you should also be getting a vitamin D lab test done 
around about the same time as you're getting your AMH done. And the reason why is about one in four Australians, at least, are deficient in vitamin D. And if you are experiencing a vitamin D deficiency, this can cause a false lowering effect of your AMH. That does not mean you have less eggs when you are vitamin D deficient. It means that malurian hormone, anti-malurian hormone, is falsely lowered in a blood test when your vitamin D is low. It does not mean you actually have less eggs. It's just the test is going to show that you have less eggs than what you truly do. That's why it's called a false lowering effect. So that's first thing. Make sure your vitamin D is checked at the same time. If it is deficient, what I would recommend is having a conversation with your healthcare provider, improving that vitamin D status, and then retesting. The next thing to be mindful of is if you are taking a hair, skin, nail supplement, or even some prenatal vitamins can contain very high levels of a nutrient called biotin or vitamin B7, sometimes called vitamin H on really old school supplements. Vitamin H doesn't exist, but really old school supplements, I've seen it be called vitamin H. If that is being supplemented in high doses, you might get a false elevation of your A and H result. So again, that hormone is trying to show you that you've got more eggs than what you actually do. So it gives you kind of false sense of security. So it's important that when you're looking at these lab results, that you take it in the context of your age, your vitamin D status, biotin, and other factors that are relevant to you. Now, this is understandably when you get this kind of news, especially if it's not something you expected, it can be very emotional, especially if you are hoping to try to conceive either in the near or distant future. I have had clients as young as um, with a history of receiving a low AMH result as young as 13 and 14 receive this kind of news. And naturally, that is a lot to take in at that age. But I've also seen clients in their early 20s, their early 30s, um, early 40s. And honestly, it almost doesn't matter what age that I see somebody experience receiving this news in, it feels equally devastating in many ways because of, I guess, your expectation of what you thought might be happening. But particularly people who are young who are told, you've got plenty of healthy eggs, which is true for most people, that receiving a low AMH kind of diagnosis or a primary ovarian insufficiency, which is technically what it's called, diagnosis can be additionally confronting because now you may have to be thinking about your family planning goals when maybe that's something that's something that wasn't on your mind at 19 or 20 or 21, for example. And I think it's really important here to go and speak to your medical professional and discuss your options, discuss egg or embryo freezing. If you're not ready to have children right now, discuss your concerns with your healthcare team and explore those options that are right for you. Now, a lot of people ask, why does this happen? Why is my egg count lower than it should be for my age? Why is my AMH low? So, of course, the biggest factor is age. So obviously, as we get older, we have fewer and fewer eggs. However, remember, this is scaled to your age. So if you have been told by your healthcare provider specifically that you have a lower AMH or a lower egg count than what is expected, then that is scaled to your age. So yes, age is a factor, but some of these other factors may be relevant to you. So you may in fact have a diagnosis of primary ovarian insufficiency, which may be linked to some family history and genetics or some some research about the fact that people that have low, low AMH are more likely a family member with it and some genetic syndromes as well. 
are associated with primary ovarian insufficiencies such as fragile X and Turner syndrome. Just experiencing perimenopause, menopause uh, at an early or premature state, um, which again, we don't really understand why. If you had a history of cancer treatment, such as chemotherapy, some autoimmune diseases, and the thing that I personally see the most in my clinic, in our clinic, I should say, is endometriosis and or laparoscopy excision of endometriosis, particularly around the ovaries, can lead to a post-op, you know, permanent drop in um, AMH and egg count. So you do want to be keeping this in mind if you are planning an endometriosis surgery, that you want to be monitoring the AMH before and after, super important, and discussing your options all the way through and any concerns that you have. Now, obviously, if you have endometriosis, not interested in having kids ever, Um, not as relevant. However, it's still relevant because the reason being is this is more than just your fertility. If you end up going through menopause, you know, 10 or 20 years earlier than what you should, whether you decide to use hormones or not, irrespective. But there are other implications to your bone health, to what you'll experience, and also your heart health in terms of your symptoms, in terms of what you experience. So there, there are other implications beyond fertility, which I'll get to in a moment. Now, the number one question is, how do I boost my AMH? Do I just take a vitamin D? Taking a vitamin D, unless you are deficient, is doesn't really make any sense because, again, it's not a true increase in the egg count. It's an increase in the anti-malurian hormone, which is going to just be an artificial increase, okay? So, sadly, no, you cannot grow more eggs back. Even if you haven't been ovulating due to the oral contraceptive pill use or, or um, any kind of hormonal contraception use, you suppress your period or amenorrhea, whether that be primary or secondary, like hypothalamic amenorrhea, you cannot quote unquote save your eggs. Each month you lose more than just the egg you ovulate. You lose a bunch. So sadly, you cannot grow more eggs back as time goes on. Truly increase your egg count. What you can do is restore the accuracy of that AMH if you are vitamin D deficient with targeted approaches to improve your vitamin D status, which you need to discuss with your healthcare provider. So just because your AMH number increases, say you take a ton of biotin, for example, not recommending that, hypothetical, that would artificially make the AMH number go up, but that just makes your ego feel good. It doesn't actually mean you have more eggs, okay, which is actually what we need here. So just be aware that that number is not the number of eggs. It is a proxy measurement for how it's kind of like how long you have left with your eggs, so to speak. So that's a lot of doom and gloom. I'm not going to lie. That's a lot of quantity chat, but I wanted to put this in a podcast episode, make it super clear. I know I talked about egg health before in season one, but I wanted to talk about how we need to focus on quality, which I would highly, highly recommend going back to season one, episode six, all about nurturing your eggs. But just a quick recap The things that we want to be avoiding to protect our eggs is no smoking, no excessive alcohol consumption. We want to limit pollutant and endocrine-disrupting chemical exposure. We don't want too many saturated or trans fats from fatty cuts of meat, processed meats like bacon, coconut oil, palm oil, deep-fried foods, that 
class of foods. And we also want to keep our blood glucose levels in check, particularly important for those with um, insulin resistance, PCOS, or a history of type 2 diabetes. We want to really make sure that that is optimized for our eggies. Now, the things that we want to boost are things like antioxidants from fruits, veggies, extra virgin olive oil, herbs, and spices, as well as omega-3 rich fish. And that's going to kind of create a protective bubble for the eggs to hopefully avoid as much oxidative stress as possible and support their health. For those over the age of 35, speak to your fertility dietitian or your healthcare provider about trialing CoQ10 or ubiquinol in supplemental form to help support equality. There is a good amount of research available around this, but it's not going to be suitable for everyone. And it's also quite a pricey supplement. So you want to be using it judiciously and when it is going to be most effective. So if you wanted to have a conversation around supplementation and get our thoughts and recommendations, for most of you who've been here for a while, you know we offer express prenatal supplement consults. We were the first fertility dietitian at practice to offer this. So you can book in for a 30-minute session with myself or our team dietitian, Kaylee, and we will design a bespoke plan for you in 30 minutes, including brands, dosages, timing, um, and what the right plan is for you. It's more than just the prenatal in most instances. So we give you that complete regime as well. So definitely check that out at the dietitian dietologist.com.au. So I did mention there are some other considerations that we need to keep in mind when you do receive this low egg count, low AMH news. And sometimes this doesn't come till later um, and just depends where, where you're at on that sliding scale. But some things to fast forward and have a think about is if you do end up going through menopause potentially significantly sooner than what you thought um, or what is average, you need to factor in your bone health because if you don't use any kind of hormonal replacement therapies, estrogen has a really great protective effect on the bones. And so with that being lost, as you're not ovulating as regularly anymore, there is a risk to your bones being broken down to keep calcium um, flowing in your bloodstream as well. So we want to make sure that our calcium intake and vitamin D intake is excellent to support our bone health. And as well, if you are experiencing those perimenopausal symptoms for symptom control, some things that can be really helpful is increasing your phytoestrogen intake, things like soy foods such as tofu, tempeh, soy milk, and endamame beans. These foods contain a naturally occurring estrogen, like I said, phytoestrogen, which can weakly bind the estrogen receptor and help provide a little bit of relief for those symptoms by mimicking that estrogen loss. So when the estrogen levels are low, adding in the phytoestrogens can be helpful in mitigating those quote unquote classic menopause symptoms. Now I wanted to leave this episode off because this is a little bit longer than my usual snack size episode, Um, but there's a lot to cover and I want it to be comprehensive. So I hope this has been helpful. But the last thing I wanted to leave you with is it is completely possible to conceive with a low AMH both unassisted and with assistance. Just because your AMH is low for your age, it does not mean all the eggs that you have are not good quality or won't fertilize or won't implant. That isn't necessarily true. So just remember, this doesn't tell you how 
easily you will fall pregnant. And a lot of people with low AMH sometimes are surprised when it does happen for them sooner than what they think. But that's also not to negate the experience of those who do have a low AMH and are struggling as well. So do speak to your own doctor about best options and next steps for you. And if you're looking for more support on how to improve the quality of your eggs and a bespoke supplement plan, you know where to find the links to work with us. They're down in the show notes. So do keep that all in mind. I know it can be a really emotionally heavy and taxing topic to discuss, but just remember you are way more than just how many eggs are living in your ovaries and it's possible. So I'll leave that for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Leave us a rating and review. This is the absolute best way that you can support us as a independent podcast. And as well, do share it with a family member or friend. And if you do share it on social media, give us a tag at the underscore dietologist is where you can hang out with us on Instagram. All right, everyone, I will catch you in the next episode. Bye.